Hi, this is Jim. And this is Bax. Check out our podcast, The Step Over, Liberty Ballers Podcast Network, for all of your Sixers' needs. Player analysis, game breakdowns, who would look coolest in a headband, and more. Subscribe to Liberty Ballers Podcast feed on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts, and check out The Step Over, a podcast about Sixers basketball. Mostly. Michael Kist, Benjamin Solak. It's the Kist and Solak Show, presented by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. You are flying high on the Kist and Solak Show. This is episode 28, brought to you by the fine folks at SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I am your host, Michael Kist. You can follow me on Twitter at MichaelKistNFL, as always. Joined by the best doggone co-host in the game, Mr. Eight-Year Streak Without a Bad Day. He is Benjamin Solak. Follow him on Twitter at Benjamin Solak. That's S-O-L-A-K. Ben, how you doing, brother? Man, every day is a good day to be alive, Mike. To hear. You want to know? I do want to know why. Well, okay. Uh, so I had a really cool moment where just somebody who listens to the show regularly, uh, his name is Jordan, just hit me up on Twitter and was like, hey, man. Every time I'm not having a good day, I think to myself that every day is a good day to be alive, and then my day is better. And I was like, isn't that crazy how that works? And he was like, yep. And so that made me feel warm and fuzzy inside. So shout out to you, Jordan, and shout out to everybody having good days for the rest of time. Amen. Beautiful. I, lo- I love that you bring that positivity to to the listeners. Somehow it doesn't come to me, but it's whatever. Ben, big roster move to be excited about. This is why it's a good day. Destiny Vial is out. Cornerback Dexter McDougal is in. Ben, tell all of us why this is a move as big as bringing in Le'Veon Bell. We almost an emergency pod for it. That's a lie. Uh, Trayvon Hester will get more snaps now. So Philadelphia for the past two weeks has been going into active game days with six wide receivers active. And then pretty much two of them get major special teams reps. One of them is Kamar Aiken. I think he also does special team Mm -hmm. stuff. And then the other three uh, being Aggie, Alshon and J-Matt pretty much comprise the majority of the offensive snaps. So that feels a little bit like poor roster allocation. The other one you could bring up would be town offensive lineman and, and Chance Warmack remaining on the 53-man roster. And anybody who knows BLG, may he may forever, forever reign, rain. knows that BLG does not want uh, Warmack to remain on the roster at his current cap value. And it makes a lot of sense. I, have, I feel better about the 10 offensive linemen simply because... To me, uh, you stockpile offensive linemen in today's day and age. You know, I'm I'm no fan of Warmack, but when you think you have an offensive lineman who can give you uh, significant reps, you got to hold on to him because they're they're so uh, few and far between quality players in the NFL. But the six offensive line, uh, the six receivers, excuse me, up against three active defensive tackles is a bit of a question. There is, of course, things to be said for Brandon Graham and Michael Bennett playing on the interior. However. Uh, this will be the third week in a row that the Eagles go with three, and it'll probably be Fletcher Cox. We're assuming Haloti Nada is going to be back, uh, and then Trayvon Hester will round out and will be number three. Obviously, if Nada goes down again, an older player who's been dealing with a calf injury, then you've got two active, and that's that's a tricky spot to be in. So that's, that's to me, the big implication of, Tra- of Vio being released is that there's more playing time for Trayvon Hester, uh, but the Eagles still remain relatively thin at a defensive tackle yeah and we talked about Hester on the all 22 review and we liked what he brought brought some pressures he brought some some run stops in his 15 snaps so that's a good thing 
Ben, I just saw your tweet about how we were supposed to record at 720. You open up Skype to, what, three? Is that three missed calls from me? I I will tell the story. Slander. <laughs> I hit up Mike at 620 p.m. Central Standard Time. And I said, Michael. Big time anyway. <laughs> what time do we intend? Well, I have to, okay. 620 Central Time. And I said, Mike, what time do you want to record this pod, my guy? And he was like, uh, 645, 7. And I said, actually, uh, can we do 820? And I did not say that I was, like, out and about doing things. But I thought the implication, I said, like, I need to do a little later, uh, was that, like, that's when I anticipate coming back home. At 7.17, <laughs> I get a Slack message from Mike. Let's go! It's three <laughs> minutes early. If we, like, like, we're not even at, like, we're not even past the stage where you politely allow somebody to be slightly late. And again, as I've been trying to convince Mike for a while now, we are two dudes recording a podcast. No one else is affected, really, by the scheduling of this, right? It's just us choosing to do a thing at a time that we picked an hour ago. And so I eventually get back uh, to my apartment. I open up Skype at 7.23, and I have three missed calls, one at 7.18, one at 7.21, and one at 7.22, when I have already told Mike that after he slacked me, like, yeah, I'm walking back right now. Mike still (laughs) called me on Skype again two times just to make sure he knew, I knew, how important it was that he got the ball rolling. I like how we didn't open with this. We did a little bit of analysis, and now we're back. You, well, you asked, why is your clock three minutes fast? And I said, well, you're two minutes slow. And I wanted to make that point by calling you at 822 and not having you answer. So that was the reason for that. I figured Listen, you would call me. Mike, you are you a big you a big basketball fan? You a huge Sixers fan? I'm a big fan of being on time. I don't think basketball is yeah, a real sport. That's what I What's thought. All- you're not a huge Sixers fan. So are you the one who's <laughs> really worried about uh, watching the Sixers open against the Celtics? No, that would be me. And I still had to push it late because I was out getting groceries. So sounds like it sounds like it's your fault for number one. Let's like just in a record fake sport a and- podcast. So I can watch Markel Fultz. Thank you. And so the Eagles have brought in linebacker <laughs> DJ Bello to the practice squad. I loved that transition. That was flawless. Uh, they also hosted corner slash safety Quentin Rollins, formerly with the Packers, and safety Ibrahim Campbell. Uh, so along with the injuries, it doesn't look like they feel comfortable with Trey Sullivan and DeAndre Hall as depth mm-hmm. pieces right now. Ben, do you have anything else on those guys or any thoughts on why they might be uh, maybe bringing one of those guys in along with uh, the signing of Dexter McDougal. The DeAndre Hall thing is embarrassing at this point. It's officially yeah. embarrassing. They traded for it's him at the deadline to put him on the 53-man roster, and he has done nothing, despite the fact that everything that possibly could have happened to give it to give him space to perform, right. he still hasn't. He still hasn't made it. Ibrahim Campbell, uh, to me, lacks a lot of athleticism when he came out on Northwestern. I just don't necessarily think he's a strong player. Uh, and then Quentin I was Rollins. a I was a Quentin Rollins fan when he came. I thought he had ball skills in college, man, but it just hasn't translated for him. He's he's bounced around, right? He's 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 had multiple trials in multiple places, from what I can remember. You know, if he's brought in, then at least he has a little bit of experience playing in the league, and he's been in a couple different systems, and he's he's had to start before, and so he's got that going for him. Yeah, he's got 15 starts, 33 games played. Yeah, yeah. and Ibrahim Campbell was a uh, was an East Pennsylvania guy. I'm pretty sure he was a Philly guy, so he's got the uh, the home blood running for him. That's that's the best. I've got there. I don't know. I mean, I would love to see them bring in Campbell. I would love to have another safety who actually plays safety on the roster, potentially taking snaps. Uh, apparently, from what the positional coaches were saying during media availability this week, everybody's just gung-ho about this whole Avante Maddox to safety thing, which, wow. okay. Sure. I mean, like, obviously, they're the ones practicing, you know, with him, running through the drills. They're with him day in and day out. So I'm not going to say they know 
that I know any more of what they're talking about. I haven't really seen Maddox get tested the way I would like to see him get tested in a game situation to feel good about him playing safety, but this is where we are, so it's where we are. Would you say that one of his biggest flaws is at the line with play strength and with some technique coming out? Who are we talking, Maddox? Yeah. Maddox's biggest issue coming out to me was body control and aggressiveness. I think he's very quick, but he Mm. bites into his own quickness, into his own uh, agility, because he plays far too far into the first flash of color that he sees and then he's forced into a recovery position whereas if you're patient he has the quickness to just stick with guys however that's very slot coverage oriented i never watched his film through the lens of expecting him to play safety you know what i mean right, so yeah, I, can't. Me too. I think the biggest issue for a guy playing safety who hasn't played it before is simply you have to be paying attention peripherally to so much more than when you're playing man coverage as a slot corner or mm-hmm. even when you're playing a curl hook zone as a as a, a cover three uh, you know, just underneath defender, you have so much more going on in your field of vision that you have to process. And that's the thing is, I haven't seen a team attack Maddox with a lot of forcing him to make decisions deep. I mean, in order to do so, you have to be able to protect and not have the pass rush come so you can get to that deep area, which Fair is enough. very tough. And that's something that Jim Schwartz knows because when Sydney went down, instead of sticking a guy who hadn't played slot before into the slot and, you know, taking Rasul, putting him outside and just like putting Ronald Darby or Jalen Mills in the slot and leaving Maddox there. He put Sewell as the deep safety to move Maddox up to the slot because the slot corner position is more important relative to how teams attack the Eagles defense than the free safety position. Mm -hmm. It's very hard to get the ball down to the deep middle against the Eagles defense. Usually you've been sacked by then. So, you know, it's a protected position. I just don't you know, I, I just don't view Maddox as a safety. It's still not something I have around my, my head. Uh, and so Campbell makes sense to me in that regard. But at the same time, if the coaching staff is sold on the Maddox idea, then they're going to keep sticking with him and they're going to feel like they have uh, enough safeties to, to go on. Love it, Ben. Thank you for elaborating on that. Hey, let's get to the topic of the show. We got a little derailed, though, in the the beginning by your lateness, which threw everything off for me. I mean, that's just, you know, when I'm expecting someone to be there at 820. So let's get nerdy for a second. Let's talk some stats. Ben's just rubbing his head right now. So we've got the three and three Philadelphia Eagles squaring off with the three and two Carolina Panthers today. Our preview, one of two, is going to be covering the Philadelphia Eagles offense against the Carolina Panthers defense. Tomorrow, we'll flip it around. We'll talk about the Panthers offense against the Eagles defense. So let's start with some stats. Eagles come into the game converting third downs at 41%, ranks 15th and climbing. Carolina does what does well in this area, ranking 9th. The Eagles have also climbed to 15th in red zone efficiency, converting 56% now. And this is where Carolina really struggles, which is great for us, Ben. They rank 31st in opposing red zone efficiency. They have allowed 82% Oy. of their defensive red zone stands to falter and convert for touchdowns. That's real bad. You got to figure they've done a decent job from keeping teams away from those red zone situations, though, because they're only allowing 22.8 points per game, which is 10th in the league. So, Ben, one of the things that I also looked at today, I'm looking at explosive margins. So you're looking at plays that are 20 yards and over. How much you get on offense minus how much you give up on defense. It's about uh, as predictive as turnovers, so it's pretty important there. Uh, Right now, the Rams are the best in the league at plus nine. Go figure. Uh, The worst two teams in the league, the Carolina Panthers and the Philadelphia Eagles. Ben, where have our big plays gone on offense? What can we do? It really is, I don't want to say surprising, that uh, there's been a lack of explosive plays because when you consider the adjustments that have been made in the past two weeks to 
to kind of counter the fact that Carson's getting hit a lot and the ball's coming out quicker. Mm -hmm. uh, you can understand why those explosive plays are kind of uh, being lost in the shuffle. Now, I will say we're talking about uh, a gained versus allowed situation here, right? Right. So because the Eagles' defense is allowing so many explosive plays, it's kind well, of— Well, here's gonna, the thing. Like since Wentz, yeah. has, since Wentz has come back, they're still 25th in explosive plays created for that time frame. Oh, wow. Yeah. It <laughs> okay, well then, scratch <laughs> Throw that, that out the window. counterpoint. It's okay. No, I've still got my <laughs> overarching idea, but I, I yeah. just thought that was something. Okay, fine. Then, I would say that simply what you're going to have with a lot, when you look at the way that Philadelphia's passing attack is constructed, they feed the tight end. They love to feed Zacharis across the intermediate area of the field. They're willing to go deep, and they run a, a healthy amount of deep routes with Nelson Aguilar specifically. Obviously, we've seen Shelton Gibson get involved in a shot play this season, but really, they want to use deep routes to open up the intermediate areas of the field. And in doing so, you you stay ahead of the sticks. It's what allows Philadelphia to convert so readily on those like third and nines and third and elevens yeah. is because of how effectively that they're able to use the middle of the field. Uh, that all comes from being able to stretch it deep just with routes and have those threats. And so it's not that Philadelphia can't go deep. It's that the they view a more sustainable model of play as using deep routes to open up the intermediate areas of the field. It's shorter throws. Uh, it's a higher percentage ideas. You don't need to be incredible athletes to win down there. Like, you know, Zach Ertz is just basically out there sitting in holes between zones. And, mm. and Carson's able to lace it in there because he's got a rocket arm. And he's quite precise across the middle of the field. So to me, it's not a necessarily deficiency so much as it is an offensive ideology, uh, a way that they like to attack. Yeah, and we talked about it with the two opponents because context is king. With the Indianapolis Colts, they play that soft shell zone and the Redskins came in with the wrong plan against them with a vertical game plan and they weren't able to do anything because they had the wrong game plan. So that's something that the yeah, Eagles had to do against the Colts and then kind of the same thing against the Titans as well. So context is big there. They also blew out the Giants, so they weren't really needing explosive plays in the second half. So that can kind of muddy things too. So not the end of the world, just something to point out, something that I want to track. Now, looking at this Carolina defense, what we can do against them schematically, you look at that front four and on the interior – they're stacking Kawan short, 315 pounds, with Don Terry Pose, 346 pounds in the middle. You throw in some Vernon Butler at 330. Kyle loves at 310. That's a lot of beef. So, Ben, one of the things that you can do to neutralize that size advantage that the Eagles, or size disadvantage, really, for the Eagles is run trap plays. And I have an article up about this on bleedinggreennation.com, but we'll get into it anyway, because you're going to be beating them on those trap plays with angles and leverage not trying to go strength versus strength and it's something that we did to them last year and it's something that the Redskins did to them successfully on Sunday on one of the first ones that I saw they added in a jet motion too which was nice nice little wrinkle to get those linebackers flowing the wrong way they trapped the three tech so the defensive tackle lined up outside of the guard that three tech there they trap him Luke Keekley bites on the jet and he takes himself out of the formation. The center doesn't even need to go get him. So the second one that they ran, same type concept with a different window dressing, six yards late in the game, second and fourth, they're up three from the Panthers, 24, key drive, boom, 10 yards. When they got to have it, they pulled out the trap, and they got a key conversion. In total for the Redskins, five traps, 31 yards, highly effective for them. The other way you're going to beat a stout front four like that, and the Redskins did this too, and the Eagles do it well, pin pull concepts, get guys to the edge. And wide zone, make those big boys get down the line. And again, just beat them with angles, leverage, and athleticism. The Eagles did it to them last year in week six when they went over the Panthers with four trap concepts for 37 yards. Expect to see it again. 
And on top of that, the Redskins had success with those pin pull sweeps, just like I talked about. Also some wide zone with some backside RPO replace lands. So everything for me is lining up real well in the ground and short game, in my opinion, Ben. Eric Washington is a new defensive coordinator. And Carolina, Steve Wilkes, the old defensive coordinator, head coach in Arizona, the defense coordinator before him, Sean McDermott, head coach Buffalo Bills. Sean McDermott, obviously, uh, front Philadelphia represent, though he's like super bald and crazy now. So I don't know. Maybe not. I can relate. Eric Washington does not come from that tree. He comes from a similar tree, uh, but he was a Chicago Bears defensive line coach for the past seven seasons before coming here to coordinate the defense uh, specifically or most recently, I should say. Under Vic Fangio uh, for the last couple of years. And obviously Vic, fantastic defensive coordinator. One thing that Washington is doing uh, that Vic would do more so when he was in San Francisco. I don't think he does it as much, though I I may be wrong with that. Is that uh, Eric Washington loves to play those linebackers, Luke Keekley and Thomas Davis, way up into the line. Yeah. Right. And for a predominantly cover three defense, when you play those linebackers so far up into the line, you're giving a lot of space uh, into the just the, the the center of the field, that intermediate Zach Ertz area that we were just talking about, right? Now, in your ideal situation, you have a, a robber, uh, a safety who's coming right down into that spot. He's kind of filling that cover three area. You're running cover three robber. That'd be ideal. But when teams go A, heavy, you know, uh, 12 personnel, 13 personnel. Mike, I don't know if you've heard the Eagles run that a lot. Uh, it, 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 <laughs> Most of the league those, at 44%, yeah. When you bring those formations in and you necessitate that they bring that extra safety down into the box and they line them up a lot tighter into the line, you leave that void very, very heavy. So what does this this translate to? Well, number one, those close-up linebackers, yeah, you can definitely pin and pull those guys. You can definitely trap those guys. Your targets are much closer to the line of scrimmage. So if you give them eye candy and they step forward, Mm -hmm. Well, a linebacker who's four yards off the ball is still three yards off the ball. He can adjust. He can go get outside. He can change his angle. A linebacker who's like three yards off the ball is now two yards off the ball. He's got less room to operate, right? Game Mm -hmm. of inches. But when these linebackers are forward like that, you're able to strike them well. And that's definitely what you saw from Washington is Washington was able to bring those linebackers very tight into the line of scrimmage. Uh, and then when they executed pin pull or, or, or traps ideas, they're able to seal off those linebackers easily. They've got good angles for their offensive linemen. Conversely, we do have to talk about the opposite, which is that when you're trying to run inside zone up the gut on those guys, it can be very difficult because yeah. Luke Keekley, Thomas Davis, and Shaq Thompson are coming to smash your head in. All three of them are playing at quite high levels. Uh, Thomas Davis, obviously older, but coming off of the suspension, so he's a little fresher. I think Shaq Thomas is panning out nicely. They, they use him as a little overhang guy. Uh, and, and obviously, Keekley's a monster and is still playing at an incredibly high level. So these guys will get very aggressive coming downhill into zone flow. But when you can incorporate, you talked about jet ideas, things to slow their attack, then you can pull off inside. But also, you can just take advantage of how hard they play down into the into the line. The second idea then, immediately, which which all Eagles fans should should hear when we have aggressive linebackers close to the line of scrimmage, you just go RPO game. Yep. You you simply you're gonna you your RPOs put linebackers in places of conflict. And already by alignment, by being so far into the line of scrimmage, Mike, they're already put into a dangerous spot because they're too close to the run and they're too far away from those zone drops where those quick three step slants are gonna hit. Those quick five yard ins are gonna hit, so on and so forth. And so I expect a heavy RPO game, uh, the quick game, uh, as not necessarily 
not necessarily something to come out with on the opening script, but something to lean on if you get into a bind, if the if the Carolina defense is holding you down for the first couple reps. I think that that quick game is something that can really open up the offense for Philadelphia. Again, attacking that middle area of the field that the linebackers are vacating because they're stepping so far forward. That's a good point, too, because when you look at what this this offense does and did against the Giants, you know, there was that, that sputter in the beginning uh, after the, the first drive where they got the turnover and everything like that. And then what they did was after that sputter, they brought things in. So if they need a drive starter, then those RPOs and things of that nature, like you just talked right. about, definitely are what you want to go to to get your offense back in a rhythm. And talking about these linebackers, because they're awesome. One thing that you notice about Luke Keekley is just his processing speed and his pre-snap diagno- like diagnosing is just next level. And you watch him on things like play action. He's taking that initial read step like you do in zone. And then before they're even completing the fake, you know, he's getting into his zone, undercutting deep routes, deep over routes, things of that. But I mean, the first play against the Redskins that you see is this. No, it wasn't the first play. It was actually one of the trap concepts. It was one of the first trap concepts that they ran. And you see Luke Keekley pointing out to the guard, there's something going on here. And he sniffs it out, and they were able to stop him for like a three-yard gain on that one. That was like one of their successes against a trap play. He did it on the next one when they ran that jet motion. He's pointing at the guard. He's seeing something. He saw something on film. He's seeing it live. He's pointing it out. And like he, it's hard to fool him in that regard. Back, back in in, in his Boston College tape, which kind of well, one thing that that a lot of NFL draft evaluators will like to do is you just go back and you watch a uh, tape of elite players who, uh, you know, when back they were in college. You know, obviously Keegan was a first round pick, but yeah. he ended up being you know a defensive player of the year, defensive rookie of the year, and so you go back and you see and what stands out with Keekley's Boston College tape is simply there's instincts there that you can't teach. Yeah. And then it translates into Carolina. So, you know, Keekley's watching enough film, but he's also played enough time at the NFL level to just know when that guard is a half step back from yeah. where he should be in alignment, which is obviously something you can check and you can see and you can key it, which I'm sure he is. But it's right when he gets into his stance and he looks at the line, and he goes, man, that guy just feels a little further away than usual. Right, and this is just you—you you don't teach that recognition ability. Keekley's an animal. The other animal, the other just monstrosity on this Carolina defense that we have to talk about, and is the player I'm the most worried about is Kawan Short. Oh, for sure. Kawan Short is so good. Oh my gosh, he's built like a refrigerator. Okay, yeah. he's. He is as wide as he is tall. He's literally an equilateral polygon. It's unbelievable how thick he is. And then his ability to be explosive with the first step, quick off the snap, and so he generates a good angle on you, gets his hands fit nicely, and then once he has leverage on you, you don't have the power to anchor against him. Jason Kelsey doesn't. Uh, Isaac Samuel definitely does not. Brandon Brooks will probably win a few and lose a few. Right. And, and Jason Kelsey's down 20 pounds on him. That's a big reason why I want to trap because blocking Kawan short straight up like that strike for strength. That's that's a tough proposition, man. You got to You got to do some things. It's it's silly to watch how effective he is. And Carolina, when they when they look uh, to bring pressure, it's typically a zone blitz situation where they're not bringing more than five occasionally mm. rarely they'll bring six late in the game when they needed one they brought seven with mike adams but that was very rare from what i saw from them on tape you're right yeah what game was that i was against washington i believe it was uh third and okay. eight if i'm not mistaken they got that deflection with uh with mike adams i ha- i have it here somewhere but third and third let's and talk six. about third and longs let's, let's talk about third and longs because uh i think this is going to be a really interesting spot for philadelphia and you never want to 
gamble and be like, the Eagles are going to convert every third down in this game. But I think this is going to be a game where the Eagles convert a lot of third downs. I'm going to tell you why. Carolina, across pretty much every third and like six plus that I saw, does one of two things. One, they want to be a middle of the field open team, which is irregular because they're a cover three team and cover three is middle of the field closed. Uh, Middle of the field open is basically saying there's no single high center fielding safety. It's not cover three or cover one. You're looking at cover two or quarters. And it's often because they want to pattern match when they are in third and decently long situations. And to pattern match, you kind of need to have split safety so you have the numbers to accomplish the pattern match. So you're very often going to see split safety looks rushing four on third and long. They're either going to do that or uh, they're going to basically run a fire zone. They're going to blitz five and they're going to drop three deep and three underneath. And it's pretty clear which one it's going to be usually at the snap because if it's going to be a fire zone, they're going to have six guys peppering the line of scrimmage. So the safeties in the corners have to be where they belong uh, because they're, they're kind of you're, – you're putting confusion up in the front. And if it's the split safety pattern match look, you need to have your guys in place over the receivers so that they right. all know their reads and who's getting the second and who's getting the third and so on and so forth. So it's pretty clear to see. And as an offense, you can kind of choose a little bit. You can affect which one to get them in. If you go really tight splits and you bring all your receivers and your linebacker and your tight ends in, it's very difficult to pattern match out of that alignment, Correct. but it's really easy to run a fire zone because you have so many guys at the line of scrimmage anyway. And if you spread everybody out, well, it's very e- uh, that's where you'd like to pattern match in the situation. You have three receivers to the side, two to the other side, and you can choose. Uh, but then it'll be very clear where your blitzers are potentially coming from, and it's harder to fake pressure to this side and then bring pressure from that side. So you can kind of affect which one it is. Philadelphia loves to run four-man route concepts, where, uh, or, and even five-man route concepts, where the pre-snap read, and DeFilippo, when he was the offensive coordinator here, loved to talk about this. The pre-snap read was a middle-of-field open or middle-of-field closed read. And what that means is that half of the route concept, half of the play, let's call it the, the front side, the three receiver side, is built to be middle of the field closed, right? Let's call it levels. They're trying to beat cover three, so they're running levels to the play side, three guys flooding the zone. Gorgeous. Hmm. The back side is not built to be a middle of the field closed defense. It's built to be a middle of the field open defense. Right. They're running smash against cover two. Right. And so you got levels to to the front side, smash to the back side. And so the quarterback comes up at the snap and all he has to do is read safety. And if he sees middle of the field closed, he knows he's going front side. If he sees middle of the field open, he knows he's going back side. Right. Because that's that's the pre-snap read. That idea is a very strong idea. It's very effective for young quarterbacks. It's something you see in Sean McVay's office, something you see heavily in Doug Peterson. Filippo uses it now when he's in Minnesota. That's something that I think you can really get with Carolina because their third down coverages, they'll move their safeties around a lot pre-snap. They, right. They're a team that loves to bring linebackers forward and pull them back and bring a nickel corner in and pull them back. They love to like like screw with you that way. But at the snap, that safety's got to choose where he's going to go. Once he chooses, you know where your reads are. You need a little bit of time to pull this off. Um, but that's that's an idea that I think Philadelphia can really cash in on because the, from what I can see, Carolina has two very clear coverages they, they work on, on third oh, yeah. down. Ben, guessing game time. So zone coverage, how much would you guess? It's somewhere in between 60 and 80%. Let's see how close you can get. Somewhere in between 60 and 80%. How much last year do you think the Panthers ran zone? Because I don't think it's changed much, much this year. 73. 73. And where do you think they rank? No, no, no. Oh, I thought you were saying, right. saying that was right. right. I was like, what's up? Uh, where I think I rank, they rank in the league? Yeah. Seventh. Final answer. 11th. <laughs> 
you, you strayed. 72.5% of the time they were in zone last year. That's first in the league, Ben. That's first? <laughs> yeah. According that's to first? PFF. Yeah, that's first. In a league in which the Los Angeles Chargers and the Kansas City Chiefs exist? Okay. They were there. Yeah, they were right there. But yeah, so, so I'm going to give you the 73% because I'm going to round up. I always round up with these things for articles and whatnot. So I'm going to give you a win for that first part. You doubted Listen, yourself in I the got, second I one. I called 73 at 72.5. I just underestimated how much other teams think they can play, play man coverage. So speaking of their coverage, uh, one guy that I want to talk about, their rookie, Dante Jackson. He can click clack, man. He's a twitched up fellow. And he's a guy that we talked about a lot during the draft process because the mm-hmm. Eagles were looking at his size speed profile. We ended up going with Avanti Maddox, who's not play, playing safety. But Jackson having a pretty decent season for a rookie. And they're asking him to play outside, which is interesting because he's undersized, to put it mildly. He's got teeny tiny arms. Uh, still, he's making it work. And according to PFF, only allowing a 54 quarterback rating when targeted. Uh, opposite of him is James Bradbury. He's more of your conventional build for an outside corner. We're going to see a lot of him and Alshon Jeffrey. I give Alshon the nod in that. Anything else in the secondary? Because one area that I really want to talk about for the Eagles, and you know, we used, we used a ton of 12 and 13. We already talked about it. But the, this Panthers defense did have some communication issues early. It cost them on a 22-yard touchdown on the Sluggo seam from Vernon Davis. And before the play, you saw Keekley like frantically trying to communicate with his linebackers and safeties, and they just straight up busted. Now, whether that's something that gets cleaned up quickly because they just brought in Eric Reed, the safety, to replace Kurt Coleman, so there's that aspect to it. Uh, who knows? But they better because you see a touch like touchdown like that to a tight end near the red zone, and I'm licking my chops at that. There are plus matchups for our tight ends if we can get them. On those safeties, in my opinion, is there anything else intriguing to you or do you want to elaborate on that wherever you want to go with that, bud? Yeah, so uh, tight stacks and bunch alignments uh, and and these sort of nasty ideas. Uh, and whenever, I, whenever I say nasty, it's important to remember nasty is the call for when your widest receiver is inside the slot. I'm not being like, this is nasty. Um, that's just that's the terminology. I always <laughs> feel like it just sounds weird. Carolina has uh bump calls and 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 banjo calls and coverage calls for all of those and you'll see them constantly make them and the linebacker will be checking with the safety and the linebacker will be checking with the corner and the safety will be checking with the corner and they have to make that audible visibly right so something that you can see as as route runners knowing what those calls typically are knowing what what the audibles would be in certain situations allows you to build route concepts off of them eagles have been using bunches they've been using those tight stacks one two receivers typically what you'll see as uh, if there's a tight end in that stack, then the linebacker slash safety takes the tight end and the corner just takes the wide receiver in straight man. And mm-hmm. so because the Eagles have such great move tight ends in Ertz and in Goddard, you can really win with leverage there. You know, if you give your, your tight ends option routes out of stacks, which is a very, very West Coast idea, uh, but if it's something that you want to go for, then you're at a point where they can win with initial leverage simply by alignment. And then I think Shaq Thomas is a good coverage linebacker who can cause some problems there. Thompson, Luke yeah. Luke Keekley and Thomas Davis are in their own right. Shaq mm-hmm. Thompson, thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, Luke Keekley and Thomas Davis are good backers in their own right, but they don't really, I don't think, hold a candle to what Ertz and Goddard can do in the open field. So if I'm looking to open my tight ends, I'm doing it out of those stacks because Carolina will work out of their, you know, like I said, tricky to pattern match against those those alignments. And so as a result, you'll see them work those two-man games those i take first in you take first out i take first uh you know first off the line you take second off the line whatever and when you know those calls you can design route concepts accordingly 
I like it. Ben, one last thing that I wanted to touch on before I kick it over to you. Uh, something that I saw the Redskins do, and I'm starting to see this from other teams as well. We talk a lot about double bug blitzes uh, on this show. So again, that's, you know, your 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 line is wide. You got the two, three techs and you got the two middle linebackers threatening the eight gap. OK, so what these teams are doing and the Redskins did this with the running backs and pass pro. Since if both those linebackers in the A gap come, the center has one, the running back has the other. So to help the running back, they line him up between the center and the guard about a yard back. Ah, little little sniffer. Yeah, exactly. Little, little H back silliness. <laughs> so that puts the onus on the rest of the line to pick up those flanking blitzes if they come. You're also getting that running back at a depth that's better to take on those blitzes because there's less speed built up by the linebacker. And the running back isn't moving to a spot, so he can comfortably anchor from where he is. And it's also easier for him and quicker for him to release into his check down if they don't come because there's typically less trash at that shallow depth. So that's a lot of different things there that are advantageous for the running back. So if you see that and you see him double mugging, you see where the running back is lined up in a weird position between that guard and center about a yard behind them. That's what they're trying to accomplish with that bend. As we move into this game, I, th- I think we covered that part of it pretty well. Right now, the the over-under is 45.5, and, and the Philadelphia Eagles are favored by five. Do the math. What is that? What does that put the Eagles at offensively? So it's like 25 to 20 or 24.5 to 19.5. We'll put it at 25. Right we'll put it at 25. Over-under 25 points for this Philadelphia Eagles offense. Games in Philly? Um, Yeah. They'll clear 25. I have faith. I believe. I think that this offense is vibing after the way they put the hurt on the Giants. They'd really like to make it two in a row. Uh, you know, you got that little bit of an extra added edge. I think this will be one of the first weeks uh, where they don't have to deal with the loss of a offensive player to injury or a position switch before, <laughs> like the week before. You know what I mean? They're not coming out with a new guy. Like, yeah. Honestly, I'm pretty sure, right? And that so, continuity is big time. Big time. Yeah, important. it's the first continuity we've gotten all season. So I think that that helps a lot. I will say they clear 25 off the top of my head. I am smashing the over. If they're listening to this show, we just gave them some great ideas on how they can be successful on offense. So if they don't, I'm going to be supremely disappointed with the Philadelphia Eagles. I'm going over on the 25. I think they, I think they clear it comfortably. Uh, I'm comfortable with what we can do in the run game, in the passing game as well. So tomorrow we are going to be covering. And I actually, Ben, that's your job. Ben, any last points or do you want to say goodbye to the gentle listeners and let them know what we have on tap for them next? No, I mean, you can just go ahead and do whatever you want and say goodbye to whoever you want. You're kind of just running the show here. Uh, <laughs> thank you for listening to the Kiss and Solak show here on BGN Radio. I'm sorry if this episode gets to you three minutes later than you're <laughs> expecting it to. Uh, and if that really disrupts your day, then you can hit me up on Twitter at Benjamin Solak. That's S-O-L-A-K. I'm going to put this out three minutes past the hour, and it's going to inconvenience one person. <laughs> I want you so to add Benjamin obnoxious. Solak. <laughs> okay. Um, if no more episodes of the Kiss and Solak show happen, just know it's because Mike and I are bickering about punctuality. Uh, but as I said, uh, I'm Benjamin Solak on Twitter at Benjamin Solak. That's S-O-L-A-K. He's Michael Kist on Twitter at Michael Kist NFL. That's K-I-S-T. Oh, it's been a fun week for the Kiss and Soul Act show so far. The Reddit AMA that we had, Mike, was a lot of fun. 
Yeah. Uh, we were on Reddit Eagles just answering some questions. It was a blast. It's a good community there. So we thank you so much for listening. We thank you for following the official BGN Radio account, which has now cleared 2,000 followers, which is a wonderful time. Uh, that's very exciting. Of course, there still is the contest going on. Mike, what do they have to do to enter the contest, and what do they win when they do it? It's a fantastic question, Ben. I'm opening up Slack. <laughs> we both don't know. Okay. <laughs> Uh, one grand prize winner gets Doug Peterson's book, Fearless, Assigned Football and Assigned Visor by old Dougie P. Five runner-ups get a copy of Fearless. You have to retweet, uh, the Bleeding Green Nation tweet that has all this information, which you can find at, at Bleeding Green on the Twitter account. Uh, and you have to follow the BGN Radio account along with a couple other accounts. Uh, but that contest is a lot of fun. I think, I honestly, like, the sign visor gets me pretty excited. Uh, do you know the Eagles are, like, basically undefeated at home when Doug Peterson wears a visor? This is an actual staff. Oh, man. Does that mean, okay, are the reading glasses going to screw that up? Because they're wanting to know what the reading glasses. Like, is that, like, doubly? <gasps> are we going to blow them out? Let's make an account. No. Yeah. Let's make a show. No. Let's write a book. <laughs> Doug Peterson. Let's do it. Let's make a website that's got like stat things you can click of like Doug Peterson accessories. Like you build your own Doug Peterson. Like windbreaker. <laughs> what color visor? What color? Let's you know, like green glasses. Yes or no? And then the website tells you how successful of a of a uh, coach that he is. Right? Okay. This is good. We have a lot of time on our hands, so this is something we can do. <laughs> Where am I even in the in the in the in the outtake right now? Uh, you should you the... should probably ask for reviews. I guess that would be okay. And then tell yeah, them so... what we're going to be doing next on the next show. Okay, that's where I am. Uh, yeah, so follow at BGN underscore Radio, <laughs> uh, and make sure you you do that stuff. You retweet that tweet and you follow those accounts, uh, and that'll put you in the contest to win those signed items and uh, Fearless, which is a wonderful book. Uh, iTunes rating, review, and subscriptions. We're looking for 500 ratings, which is very exciting. We are looking for 200 reviews, which is also very exciting. Of course, only five-star ratings are accepted. All other ones get thrown in the trash where they belong. Uh, next episode is tomorrow for the Kiss and Solak show, and that is the Eagles' defense up against this Carolina offense. Uh, you've got uh, – it's a Shula offense, isn't it, Mike? Very exciting. Yeah. Yeah. And they've got young, uh, young, quick guys. They got uh, uh, Christian McCaffrey, and they got Curtis Samuel, and they got DJ Moore, and all, all these, and CJ Anderson. These young, uh, good weapons in space they can use, and obviously Cam Newton kind of powers that whole nonsense. So we'll be talking about that. We'll give you our final predictions, lead you into the BGN Radio official pregame episode, and that'll bring us right into the weekend. So thank you so much as always for listening to BGN Radio. We will catch you tomorrow. We are, in fact, all we got. We all we need. Fly Eagles, fly. Flying high on the Kissed and Solak Show. This is episode 28, brought to you by the fine folks at SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I am your host, Michael Kissed. You can follow me at Michael Kissed NFL. As always, <laughs> why are you laughing? I did nothing because this is 100% going to be saved as an outtake. And I would like to make it clear. I did, We just started recording. I've done zero things. I am totally I innocent. stumbled over like three things, including my own name there. You, It was slight. You could barely tell, but it was there. <laughs> Listen, you haven't been able to figure out that we're presented by SB Nation since SB Nation started presenting us like over a month ago. Okay, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> My guy.
Breathe it out. You'll be okay. All right. I'm good. I'm good. All right. All the sillies are out. <clears throat> you are flying high on the Kissed and Solak show. This is episode 28. Hey, everybody. How you doing? Well, that's good. My name is Bill Matz. I am the director of Fun and Games for Broad Street Hockey Radio Podcasts. And I am Kelly, the deputy managing editor of BroadStreetHockey.com. I'm Steph Driver, the NHL editorial manager for SB Nation. And I am Charlie O'Connor, lead Flyers writer for TheAthletic.com. And together we make up BSH Radio, one of the shows that you get at the SB Nation podcast family. We have a lot coming to you this year, and we want you to listen to our show. It is just an all-flyers, all-the-time show, so much content. I really hope you listen to it. It is a great piece of the SB Nation podcast family, along with all your other favorite sports. We all love hockey, specifically the Flyers. Let's go the Flyers. The hockey team, the Flyers.